Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. Welcome to Weekly Jump, presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. This is our weekly episode reviewing first impressions of newer anime and manga titles. Let's jump in. All right, so this week we have a special guest. If you can just go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey guys, I'm David from the Shonen Flopcast. I am another anime podcaster. Well, I guess anime is not quite since we specialize in manga, but you know, it's all in the same weeb family. And what we do <laughs> is we look at kind of the lesser known series that ran in Shonen Jump. You know, not every series can be Naruto or Dragon Ball Z. So we look at the ones that didn't do so well and say, oh, was this one a flop or really are our hearts broken if that it didn't get to keep going? Though spoiler alert, about 90% of what we read is garbage and we're kind of glad it got canceled after 20 chapters. <laughs> Including actually, we've read some of the uh, series from some pretty famous guys. We Our latest episode, we did Ozu, which was by the creator of My Hero Academia. And man, that was not a fun series to read at all. <laughs> and so I'm really glad he made... What's it about? It is so the full name is like this Japanese word that I just called it Ozu during the podcast, but it is about this girl who works at a magic zoo where the head of the zoo is a man who has been turned into a talking rabbit and he can turn all the animals into like animal people. Like, do you guys watch? uh, Are you guys familiar with One Piece at all? Yeah. So imagine like all the animals are zone fruit users and they all turn (laughs) into their hybrid forms at night. And he has to make the best zoo in the world to be turned back into a human. What is this? It's <laughs> absolutely insane. It I mean, is absolutely insane. Yeah, it's a fine premise, but yeah, yeah. except uh, it was. Yeah, it's um. there's a ton of filler. The plot doesn't make a lot of sense. The main character is a huge asshole. He is like physically and verbally abusive to the girl who is like the one person who works at the zoo and no one goes to the zoo. And the zoo is in like terrible conditions. Like the gorilla is kept in like a maybe 15 by 15 foot cage with iron bars, like old school what zoo. Is this? And this came out in like 2006. So like they knew about animal rights, you know? Oh man. It's just, yeah. It, is, and, it, is it just me or does this sound like it, it, it would be a, a movie made in America and also it would be starring somebody like Kevin James? Is oh, that yeah. just me? Does anybody else feel that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we uh, we bought an Ozu. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Carrey is a rabbit. Nice. Um, um, I, well, have, uh, I have I have questions. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> and uh, you can find us though, by the way, at shonenflop.com or just looking up shonenflop wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. You know it. We got it. How awesome. long have you guys so, been going? We've been going. So we are actually going to do our anniversary episode on May thirtieth. So that will be a year so we've only been doing it for about like nine months now nice golly and nice um Um, oh no you go ahead oh i was just gonna i was just gonna ask um what is the the worst manga that you've read so far (laughs) so we actually have that as a segment where we talk about it and so for a long time it was a series beast children which was a rugby manga that um literally they kind of just created in like the middle of the night so they could have it during like the world cup when japan was hosting it and they actually canceled it a week after the world cup ended and it's by far it's got by far the lowest quality art we ever read like it's like (laughs) high school level but our actual current worst is tokyo shinobi squad which if you guys aren't famous or aren't aware of this this is the infamous alt-right themed shonen jump manga 
Oh god. Where that literally sound good. <laughs> the plot of Tokyo Shinobi Squad is that because of immigrants, Japan has become like this crime ridden city that like no one can like thrive in because there's too many immigrants. Is literally one of the messages of the series. Oof, that's rough. Yeah. Oh, okay, so uh, that's it's, funny. It's, I'm I'm reading that series right now and I did not pick up on that because one of the characters one of the main characters is an immigrant and is like you know, accepted into the, the hero group. That is true. The guy from, I think it was Thailand, but yeah. overall, and then there's weird things like the terrorist town and a lot of plot elements don't make sense. And the Matt that the show kind of just says, Oh, how awesome the main character is. Yeah. It's a, uh, it was a lot, but I think that is currently the worst, but these children will always place a special place in my heart as probably the first, like objectively atrocious series we had to read instead of just like aggressively mediocre. Yeah, Beast Children sounds like it is a it is a um uh almost like a like a Pepsi Man or something like that. <laughs> One of those like video games that was created <laughs> for um something that should never have been made. Oh man, I watched a I watched a speed run the other day of like some of the worst games that were ever made, and this is gonna strike true inside of Blake's heart. Um, but there is a uh it's like a Animorphs, but it's kind of like a Pokemon game that's almost and it's like themed on Animorphs and it's the worst video game I've ever seen and I'm just like this is this is why you shouldn't make important things <laughs> and things that matter to people because yeah. you needed more money from the standalone. I'm going to need like, you to go into more detail <laughs> about the Animorphs game. <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> okay, so so what happens inside of the game is that you are uh, somebody running around as as one of the animorphs people, and you go and you fight against like a let's let's say you want to become a dog, you have to fight the dog, and then you can become a dog after that. Um, but then once you're you're defeated as the dog, you can morph into something else, like an elephant or something. But then you're finally defeated afterwards. But the gameplay is almost completely unplayable. Um, if you want to super fun uh, version of it to watch. Uh, they did it on uh, GDQ a couple of years ago, which is the, the games done quick where they just beat video mm -hmm. games real fast. Um, and they have an awful games block, which is just my favorite thing about the entire event, where they like play just the worst video games they could find and speed run them as fast as possible. It's super high quality I'm fun just, there. The you know? curiosity <laughs> that I have about the Animorphs game is that I have an old Animorphs game that I used to play as a kid in my office next to me right now, and I'm wondering if it's that one. <laughs> I think it's on, like, a Game Boy, so, I mean, if it's on um, a Game Boy, it's probably the game. No, this Yo, is a computer speed, game. <laughs> sp oh, okay. Speedrunning is by far the craziest. I've been watching, like, a bunch of speedrunning documentaries while I work out for some reason, because I guess there's juxtaposition. It is absolutely insane, the amount of things <laughs> that people find. Like, the whole, like, have you guys played Super Mario Odyssey? Oh, no, Not but I have yet. watched people playing that speedrun, well, and it, it is just insanity. Yeah, I played well, a the few craziest hours is, of it. So the craziest is the the minimum capture speedrun. Really has a special mm -hmm. place in my heart. So what they're doing is, you know how like you can capture and like take over things? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have gotten it down where you only need to capture three things to beat the entire game. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, really crazy. And there's about 14 mandatory parts that they just find ways to skip, like... The most impressive part is this thing. It's like, it's like chestnut jumping. Where if you grab a chestnut and you throw it and you capture it at the perfect frame, you go slightly higher and you can do that to like skip segments. 
And so this dude is like for like eight minutes has to do like a cycle of like frame perfect chestnut catching to <laughs> skip a capture. Oh my god! It's just that this whole thing is just the most. It, it's it's one of the weirdest things that's come about inside of like our our current generation of gameplay. Um, but I I will say it is it is very entertaining to watch the end part of it. But I don't. I, I don't really see the joy in watching other people c- like cranking away at it until they figure something out. But I mean, to each their own. I guess a lot of people have a lot of time to, sp- to spend watching things on Twitch. Yeah, um, I personally but, do not. But anyways, uh, contrary to what we're talking about, this is not a speedrun podcast. Instead, this is a podcast where we're going to talk about anime. And um, our guest has uh, has given us a, a new series to watch. Um, I say series, but it's really just kind of like four episodes mm-hmm. um, on Net Not a Sponsor. Um, and uh, we are going to be covering those today. Um if you've listened to the show before, you know that we have some strong, strong feelings about JoJo's. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that these were super fun to watch, and the styles that they played around with inside of the different episodes were really fantastic. Um, do you know if that was on purpose? Like they they played around with like the different seasonal styles of JoJo. Um, so, what do you I... mean exactly by seasonal? Yeah, I know a little bit about this, actually. Um, so the the series we're covering is called Thus Spoke Kishibe Rohan. And uh, Spencer mm-hmm. and I have talked about this a few times on our recent episodes and uh, misattributed it as a fictionalized version of the creator of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure having, you know, hyper-fictionalized versions of his own life. It's actually mm-hmm. a character from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure that is also a manga creator. Almost. Yep certainly a stand-in for the creator of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, but not literally the creator of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> yeah, he's gone on record saying that Rohan is not supposed to be like his offer avatar, which I think the term is, but it's hard not to think it is. Well, you yeah, know, I mean, like, there are people... Especially with, like, how much he he puts him up inside of this, where it's just like, look how cool he is. Do you know how cool it is to be a manga author? Yeah. And I was like, nah. There are people, though, you know, there, so many artists will put themselves into their work, and, you know, obviously there's a part of, like, creating art that is, like, expressing or revealing yourself, but a lot of times people will put literal character representations of themselves in their art, and I, you know, just making up a statistic based on my own anecdotal experience throughout my life, I would say like at least at the very minimum, 80% of the author insert characters are characters that if you asked the author, they'd be like, no, that's not, that's not me. (laughs) That's fair. That is fair. Yeah. I, I never, I never hang around and wear a crown inside of my normal life. That's not me. (laughs) (laughs) So David, what is your, what's your experience with, the series Jojo Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and uh, sort of like your take on it. Cause I know, I know listeners to our show know how Spencer and I feel about it, but I don't know how you feel about it. Oh man. So I am fully in the Joe journey. I, as I was saying, I am a hundred percent up to speed. I've read the entire manga. Um, like I read the latest Jojo Leon chapter last week. So it's definitely been an adventure, so this was really exciting because I actually hadn't seen any of this, so it was really cool seeing something animated that I actually had no idea what was going to go happen. Like, for instance, I read part five of Joji before it got animated, so 
every week. It, it was fun to watch it animated, but I knew ultimately what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is being able to like get something completely new is a, it, it? It's a pretty cool thing yeah. that that Netflix has actually gotten the the access to for the American audience, yeah. which is and so which is kind of uh, wild. So to answer your earlier question, Spencer, this is. Uh, it's not directly tied to the seasons of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, that that may, you know, your mileage may vary for, you know, one story to another. But uh, based on some some reading I did on this and some of the blurbs from the author himself included in the collected volumes of the print versions of these stories, these are one shot stories that uh, that he was commissioned to make for various publications. And he essentially just kind of came up with, with these stories. And I guess, I guess he early on came up with the sort of unifying thread of it centering around Kishibe Rohan. Although, you know, to be fair, I don't know that that's true for all the one shots because there's two collected print editions of these various one shots that have been bound together. And uh, now that I'm, now I'm saying this out loud, I'm not confident that all of them focus on Kishibe Rohan. Uh, but these four stories that are that are um, adapted into this animated OVA form here uh, do focus on him. And mm-hmm. so the the JoJo's creator, he said specifically that um, he didn't set out to match these stories with a specific theme or genre or feel, but that when he was uh, working on the collected editions of them, he found it funny that each one seemed to have a genre or or a feel to it that matched the publication that it appeared in. So like scarier mm-hmm. ones are more in, in horror magazines, funnier ones are more in comedy magazines, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I was I was going to say the thing that the thing that really struck me though is that it, the, these are four episodes and each one of the different episodes almost has a different feel of an animation style mm-hmm. that has happened inside of JoJo's history. Um so the the biggest the biggest starkest contrast between one to the other though was between the first one to the second one. Um did anybody else really really notice that? Mm-hmm. Um where the the first one the first one really had that style of um almost like um uh, uh, st- uh stardust um crusaders mm-hmm. um or and then the second one really really had the style of um the uh the the second series oh gosh uh, the tendency. one that had the yeah battle tendencies um and i i was like oh man this is this is such a cool thing if they're uh, like actively trying to do it and i mean mm-hmm. if they're not then i guess they're just playing around with style it is possible that the, the animation ones. studio did that on purpose because i was definitely reading about the mangaka talking about the creation of the manga yeah. versions uh mm-hmm. in particular so that that may be the case with the animation studio deliberately making it a callback um mm-hmm. But yeah, if you if you listeners haven't caught on, this is a series of one shots that are mm-hmm. theoretically canonical. So the character Kishibe Rohan, yeah. he's a character from Part Four, right? Yes, he is one of the main uh, protagonists of Part Four. Diamond is unbreakable. Okay, mm, yeah the this will this will go down as well um, as the the one of the JoJo's series that we enjoy the most. Oh yeah, which is Diamond is Unbreakable. But have we watched started watching it, and we were like, 
Yeah, it it was one it was one where they it it really JoJo's mileage for us really varies on if they lean into the ridiculousness of the um of the series the way that it comes out um the more they lean into it the more we enjoy it when they're like obviously you know pointing at themselves while making things happen and Diamond is Unbreakable does that the best and these four one shots also do it really fantastically well Um, because the way that Kashibe, the way that he like expresses his life, everybody's just (laughs) like, did that really happen? He's just like, yes, of course it happened. You idiots. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, let's get into these. Okay. So the first one is at a confessional and um, man, oh man, uh, I was not expecting this. It's Um, confusing too, because it says episode 16, but uh yeah. If you're watching, don't get confused. There are four animated episodes of OVAs. They are adapting and maintaining the original numbering of the print one shots. So this was his 16th yes. one shot, but it is the first episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very, very confusing at first. I also think Netflix didn't put it in release order. I if you also look at, like, think the Wikipedia that, page. The- the JoJo's Bizarre Wiki had them in a different order, but I put them in I put them in the order that yeah. they appear on Net, not a sponsor. Yeah, I'm totally yeah. F- totally fine talking about the order that was actually put online because it's not like it really matters, which is also probably why Netflix didn't really care what order they put it in. Yeah, yeah, for real. Okay, so uh, so we first pick up on Rohan. Uh, he is gonna be he's gonna be having a, a conversation with Koichi at a cafe, um, and he begins to recount his trip to Italy. And you know when you're in Italy and you have a camera, and the first thing that you do is you're just like, I want to go into a church. And I want to go and find a confessional booth. And then I want to have, like, a ridiculous photo session with it, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, I think there's this thing. I I have to tread lightly here because this is a little bit of hearsay and a little bit of inference for me. And I don't want to be offensive. But I don't think Christianity is very prominent in Japan and so I think they have a sort of fascination with Christianity and its imagery and and customs and stuff like that in a similar way that a lot of anime fans have a fascination with Japanese um, spiritualism and customs and stuff like that. And so, you know, I think there that uh, he he approaches he and a lot of Japanese uh, creators will approach uh, Christianity and its imagery with a fascination that we approach like Greek mythology where it's like, they're not, they're not Mm. taking it seriously, but they find it to be this creative and interesting space. And that's why you see a lot of imagery, you know, you get blue exorcist is using Catholicism deeply at the core of its series, Mm -hmm. but not, not in a way that like, if that were being made in America, they would be doing it really differently because they'd be afraid of offending Catholics. And you yeah, know, that's mm. why the villains of uh, or the you know the monsters of Neon Genesis are are angels and stuff like that. Like I was Christian about to imagery. say, Eva is like yeah, exactly. So th- I think this is I think this is sort of playing into that where he's like, "What is a confessional? This is fascinating." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, can 
Can I, uh, uh, if you, if you ever went inside of a church, I, I think though that if you didn't have like a c- connection to Catholicism, um, you, you might just be as interested as he is on like going inside of the confessional just to see what it looks like. You know, like if, if that wasn't mired in that's the place that you go to confess all your sins, I guess it would be a cool, weird thing for people to look at. Yeah, totally. Um, but, he definitely goes in there and he goes in the wrong side. Um, and so a guy comes in to confess just the most heinous, ridiculous things. Um, real quick, can, can you give us, can you give us a breakdown of what this guy is going to talk about? And, uh, oh my God, like, <laughs> it's just, it's insane. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can go into it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so actually, so they got, so the guy is actually, I checked on the wiki, he officially has no name. So he comes in and he's like, he wants to confess his sins. And so it starts where he was like a construction worker, a manual laborer. And there was like a homeless person that was hungry. And he was like, I'll give you some of my lunch, but you have to do my job. And the guy dies trying to lift a bag that like falls on him and crushes him. Yeah, the guy's like, the guy he like berates the guy. Yeah, he was yeah. a huge <laughs> asshole to this homeless guy. The homeless so this, dude's this like, dude can I eat first because I'm straight up like like at death's door starving? And he's like, fuck yeah. you, you're just trying to get some food for free. I don't, he doesn't yeah. say it, but I think he wants, I think he thinks the guy's going to eat and run. And oh yeah. Yeah. Big up, uh, pull yourself up from your bootstraps energy. Uh, yeah, very much. Yeah, strong, uh, yeah, strong. Pull yourself up by your here. dumb hair straps. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so that happens, and then the dude dies, and he curses him, saying, "On the happiest day of your life, like I will come back and like torture you or take everything from you, something like that." And so it like kind of time skips, and the guy just keeps getting lucky, where he gets like all this money. He starts like a snack company, he makes millions. He has a kid and like assistants and like a chauffeur. And, like, he's with his daughter, and he's having a great day, when suddenly the ghost comes back and possesses his daughter, and is like, I will kill you, but... He possesses his daughter. Hold on. The the way that he possesses his daughter. Yeah. Yeah, yes. He possesses her tongue. (laughs) Yeah. Just... Uh, like my favorite thing about the possession, though, is that he's got little tongue arms, um, and he does like little little hand motions as he's doing things. And I'm just like, number one, gross. Number two, uh, the creator of JoJo's does this really gross thing with like bodily fluids. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the like tongue is out, there's just like so much spit just rolling around on top of him, which is gross, but it's also supposed to be a horror like genre of what they're explaining. Yeah, I mean the um, man is but then obsessed we get into... with grossing people out. Like it's his favorite yeah. thing. Yeah. There is yeah. um a very prominent or I guess yeah there is a tongue stand in part five. Which I'm curious which came first this where so there's like this guy where Stan will like grab your tongue and he will make you tell lies while he like possesses your tongue. So it's in a similar headspace. So I guess Araki just really likes tongue based like supernatural. Well, things. you know, ironically, oh, uh, he, he might just he might just like tongue things. Actually, there's a there's a character inside of uh, one of the older ones that just plays around with a cherry on his tongue for like oh, yeah. a full episode. Yeah, I was listening to uh, <laughs> so, like, Spencer. I was actually listening to our first part three episode earlier today while I was working, and we were talking about them on a plane fighting a dude who was trying to rip people's tongues out. So this is a real, <laughs> this is a real history here. 
<laughs> Oral history nailed it. Um, nice. Anyways, um, so uh, the the beggar who has possessed his daughter now makes him go into um, just a just a silly fun time of tossing little pieces of popcorn up into the air and having to catch them in his mouth, um, which. I will say, as someone who has tried to throw little pieces of things up into the air and tried to catch them, it he is real hard. Like, <laughs> like especially popcorn out in the wind. Yeah. Like, come on, man. But what's great That's is like that he's tempting having, fate. He's doing this game partly because the daughter he possessed was just showing off how she's perfected the ability to toss up a piece of popcorn and grab it yep. in her mouth. And yeah. And then this, the ghost is like, that's a great opportunity for me to make a literal life. And it's like, this is like Yu-Gi-Oh rules where they're doing something stupid and the stakes are so high. But this is <laughs> yep. like, this is so interesting. They like the rules are he has to toss this thing up and it has to go a certain height or it doesn't count. And he has to catch it and he has to do it three times. And that's it. It's that simple. But they make it. They drag it out in a way that makes it so engaging and fascinating. Yeah, and like I, there were there was a moment like about halfway through, where I was like, "Ooh, this is I like I I didn't expect this. This was really surprising and exciting." <laughs> yeah, like birds show up, and he's got to like figure out what to do about the birds <laughs> yeah. and the sun is in his eyes. And... The pigeons show up and show that pigeons are truly the assholes of the bird species. Yes. But really, those pigeons are just like, hold on, somebody's throwing popcorn. Like, if if you're throwing popcorns and I'm a pigeon, I'm down for that. Yeah. So uh, he, he the three stages, so the three the three throws in stage one, he throws the popcorn up and he he can't see it because the sun is in his eyes. But he manages to grab it. I guess he, I, I don't remember exactly. I think, I think it comes back into view right before he, he grabs it or maybe just gets lucky. And uh, then these pigeons show up and he's like, fuck, if I throw the popcorn up the second time, the pigeon's going to grab it out of the air. I won't get it. I'll be disqualified. So he rips the bag of popcorn open so that there's popcorn scattered everywhere. And the piece he's throwing up won't be the easiest one to get. So he will yep. be able to get it himself. And then I guess the first time the, that time, there's only like one pigeon. And so he's distracting it with popcorn. Mm-hmm. But then for his third throw, all of the pigeons in Italy have showed up and are like, yeah. I heard that there was popcorn <laughs> and I would like some. Yeah. Also, uh, did anybody else notice that the last time, the way that he figures this out is that he's going to light it on fire and throw it up into the air? Uh, a couple things about how the fire works. Number one, um, when he uses his lighter, uh, the way that it is drawn, both his hands are lit on fire. Um, <laughs> number two, um, if you've ever tried to burn a piece of popcorn, you know, even just in the microwave, it will explode into a ball of flame and then be disintegrated <laughs> in seconds. So I don't know how fast he is throwing this up, but it definitely should be obliterated well, d- fast enough. Doesn't he say something but about covering it, turns- it in lighter fluid or something? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, he uses he puts lighter fluid. Just make it burn faster. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it's neither here nor there, my guys. Like if we've learned Nobody anything from our coverage behind of JoJo's, the man behind the curtain, it's been a while, but we have to remember that there are no rules, and the story is going to do what it's going to do, despite physics or any any pre-established notions. 
Yeah, li- listen, man, it's stand shit. Or actually, we don't even know if it stands, but stand <laughs> shit. I don't. I, it's stand magic. I don't have to explain shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he doesn't catch the last one that's on fire. Instead, it falls on his shoulder, and as soon as he doesn't catch it, the ghost cuts his head off. Um, and then we cut back to Kashibi Rohan, and he is still making, he's still talking about how he's in the confessional booth, and he's like, do you want to know how I was able to talk about this? It's because I had my face changed into a, one of my servants, and my servant got killed, and then it cuts to him seeing the ghosts of the two vengeful spirits that are still following him. One is the guy that he killed by having having him do his work and then the bag fell onto him. The other one is the guy that he had his like he face off with that guy. Um, and he's just rolling around with his head in his hands. And he's just like, I'm going to haunt you forever. And, uh, meanwhile, they're like, okay, I guess I'm just going to go live my life still while these horrible spirits are following me. And then just wanders out and Rohan's just like, and that's, and that's my fun trip to Italy. But you guys, here's the thing. <laughs> yep. He's haunted. He's be- this guy's haunted by a ghost. And the, this confrontation takes two ghosts. place. Two, two ghosts. ghosts. Yeah. No, the, the, initially he's haunted by the ghost of the, of the guy who died. And the, the confrontation that led to the, this other guy dying and becoming second haunting spirit was triggered by him thinking to himself that he was having the happiest day of his life. Yep. So how did the actual guy who was supposed to be haunted get the haunting to be transferred to this other dude through plastic surgery without the ghost noticing like was it a jewish holiday and he was just like not haunting that time like what was going on how does this work no haunting on the sabbath <laughs> yeah oh man those jewish ghosts they get you every boy they oh yeah boy, those chosen oh, ghosts all right, let's go into the next one so the next one well, is uh, called uh, if you don't oh, mind there oh, was one oh. other observation i just want to make okay okay this one at R2. So this one's interesting. Is this the only one that actually slots into like any sort of plot for Jojo? Cause this is actually part of the setup for part five where, um, what's the name of the short dude? Uh, Shit. um, it's written in here somewhere. Koichi. Yeah. Koichi. So this actually happens where Han teaches him how to speak Italian. So this actually slots into the plot of part five. <laughs> and the other thing I want to point out is this actually reminded me of a stand battle that Rohan had in part four with boys to men, where instead of it being Great. catching it, he had to play three games of rock, paper, scissors to save his life. And oh, I just thought man. that was an interesting parallel that that's, it's like almost like if this was like his real life, I could totally have seen that's what inspired the story. All uh. right, man, that's, that's, that's a cool tie in. Um, and also, uh, hearing that one of the enemies is named boys to men just makes me want to watch diamond is unbreakable more. <laughs> um, but anyways, let's get into the next one, which is Mutsukabe Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is, uh, I didn't like this one. Maybe, maybe my no. least favorite one. Um, so this one starts out with Rohan talking to his editor. Um, his editor, by the way, um, is like, hey, uh, so you're coming up with this new thing? And he's just like, well, I am, but I am I'm out of money and I need an advance because I bought a hill. 
And then I found out that they were going to try to make a, uh, a, a whole bunch of vacation resorts around on the hills around me, you know, a la, uh, Emperor's New Groove. Um, mm-hmm. but I wanted to stop them. And so I bought all of the other hills around it. And then they didn't build their vacation, uh, around it because also one of the people that was there, he got turned into a llama. Um, and he had to spend a whole time running around with John Goodman. Um, and then he came back and he had learned his lesson. Um, and so they didn't want to build it, but that dropped the real estate price on it. So I lost all my money. So I need an advance. <laughs> That's my favorite like, thing. You're an idiot. He buys the hills be- <laughs> when they're like to compete with a, a company that wants to build a development there. So they're super expensive. Yeah. And then the development company loses. Yeah. From David Spade. Doesn't want to build yeah. a development there anymore. And therefore there's no more value to the hills. This yeah. Is so good. <laughs> that sounds about right. Stocks. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly stonks. That's how stonks work. Anybody want to buy GameStop? Something something um, GameStop. Hey, I just sold my I just see. <laughs> I I just sold so my girlfriend made me sell my initial investment. So I sold today. I'm still holding on to some stock. Two stock. So we'll see. Did you uh I, I was reading on Reddit yesterday that the GameStop price had gone up pretty considerably. So did you uh did you make out well in the selling experience? Uh yeah. I, I yeah, I got in at eighty, sold at one seventy. So nice, feeling, congrats! Feeling oh man, oh man, you made a ninety dollar profit. <laughs> yeah, I sure. Is, yeah, I only had yeah. five stocks, so it wasn't a ton, but it's still it was. It's a good feeling. And then I put yeah. it on Bitcoin, which pissed my girlfriend off. <laughs> Nailed it. <in> stocks. <laughs> double down, <laughs> double down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the the story that comes out of this, though, is that the reason that he was trying to get into these uh, mountains in the first place um, is because there is a paranormal activity that was taking place. Um, and uh, the thing that was happening was apparently there was a evil spirit that uh, has its best of times when the person that is about to fall in love with it or experience it, it has to witness it die in front of it. And the way that it takes place in the first, I guess, the first time that we are seeing it um, is that a woman who is a, a rich woman, she is, you know, hanging out with the pool boy. And yes, I know this is the beginning of every rom- every romance novel. But anyways, um, she decides that she can't spend time with him anymore because she is about to be betrothed to her betrothed. Um, and so <laughs> for business reasons. Uh, she is like, yeah, for business reasons. Um, and so, uh, she pushes him away, but what happens after she pushes him away? <laughs> <laughs> well, she pushed oh, him a God. little too hard and, <laughs> um, there were some nearby golf clubs, which uh, as everyone knows, golf clubs are but a moment away from murder. <laughs> Yeah, it was some casual impalement. Yeah, this is, uh, you yeah. know, another thing where you're like, I don't, uh, I'm not sure how that one works. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, she... let's, let's hold on. Hold on. Someone's waving their hands. Okay. Yeah, I understand now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she pushes him down on his ass and he lands with his back against the wall where the golf clubs are propped up. And one of the golf clubs that was sticking out. Instead of, you know, being pushed to the side or, you know, knocking him unconscious or giving him a bit of a concussion, impales the bottom of his skull, destroying his spinal column and immediately killing him. Yeah, he's yeah. dead as fuck. 
Yeah, but in 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 true JoJo's fashion, she can't clean up the blood fast enough, and he's dead. But the blood keeps on coming out, and so she has to. Um, well, she weakened it, Bernie's his body, um, <laughs> so that uh, he is he is living with her now, and she's pretending everything is fine, and he's bleeding and will not ever stop bleeding, and. The grossest thing about this is that we find out when Rohan is going to investigate this that the daughter of the this person, um, she goes and wanders in front of him, which causes him to like run into her and knock her over and almost kill her. Um, except for when he saves her with his stand, I think um, it but does kill the, her, but his stand is able to bring her. Yeah, back to she. Life. Or she's, I think she's dying because he says she's like starting to fade away. So he gets her like when she's like one percent alive. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Or the princess yeah, so- bride, she's mostly dead, but not completely dead. <laughs> Yeah. So um, it turns out, though, that uh, this woman, she kept the body and uh, she's she was into some necrophilia. Yeah, she's, um, yeah. she's been so given it a spritz so that she can get down. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So this dead body c- continues to like not completely decay. And if you spritz it with a spray bottle, it just turns back into a normal dead person yeah, but i guess it's completely fine we're kind of skipping over part of the reason why she has the body which is that it is supernaturally bleeding a lot it's bleeding too much for a person yeah. who died and then she she spends a probably about half the episode trying to you know would be funny if it weren't so gross hide the super bleeding body uh from her uh fiance and father and then we kind of it does like a sort of flash forward and we find out that the body leaks up to a certain amount of blood each day and she basically just like has a secret chore that she she traps the blood in a, in a little decanter and then pours it down the sink every day which i definitely mm-hmm. thought was going to come back later and really really doesn't but uh yeah nope. so the body supernaturally just bleeds out every day and she has to deal with it yeah. every day instead of i don't know burying the body or burning it she just leaves it in the attic to bleed and deal with because she wants to fuck it (laughs) because yeah if you spritz it with water it comes back to looking like he did right before he died and i guess somehow she's able to uh draw blood from a stone if you will (laughs) oh jeez, yeah very much a rock in a hard place yeah that one works too <laughs> Anyways, um I I was trying to think of something uh about stepping on a crack but I digress. <laughs> um this is the end of this weird thing. He leaves from this hill and he's just like, "I'm done with that." <laughs> um and that takes us into the next one, which is Millionaire Hill. Oh, man. Um this one is my favorite one. Okay. Um it is Definitely the most silly, um, and the reason why it is the most silly um, is because this this character that we're going to run into is just the most obnoxious MacGuffin that I've I've ever experienced in a JoJo's episode. Um, so, anyways, the he, he, Rohan is meeting with um, I didn't think that was his editor. I I think it's I thought she was like a like a manga magazine it's writer. A different editor. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they go through so manga writers go through editors. Okay. Yeah. So it's so she it's is new editor. She is trying to convince him 
to do this one shot idea that she has. Um, and uh, he is is convinced basically that she is trying to convince him to spend money that he doesn't have. He's like, look, I just spent all this money and lost all this money on this stupid hill thing. So I can't give you additional money in order to buy your weekend estate um, up inside of this millionaire area, um, which apparently everybody has helicopters and also they have running electricity and water. Yeah, so even though it uh, doesn't seem to be connected to a power grid of any source. Yeah, it's uh it's like an Atlas shrugged kind of thing where some rich people went to go live off by themselves in a secret society that is hidden from the the regular world. And uh and yeah. I don't know, she found out about it because of Google Earth or some shit. Yeah. Well remember <laughs> the thing is that they weren't rich. It's if you live right. here you become rich. Yeah, that oh, yeah. that's yeah. what they discover later on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it turns out um, he is going to go with her to uh, to take a look at this this plot that has become available that she wants to buy. Um, and uh, she is going to go up there to try to get it. Um, but before they get there, they notice that everything's a little bit weird inside of this forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to save uh, a little baby bird before they go in. Um, and then um, a little boy with horrible giant black eyes yeah. um, is is going to uh, tell them all about how they need to come in and drink some tea. And as they're going in, um, Rohan is just like, this feels like it might be a trap. I'm not saying I'm from a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime, <laughs> but look, whenever things like this happen in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime, things that are happening get weird. Well, I would and argue he is that totally he right. is not from a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime because if you'll recall in Stardust Crusaders, they were the most gullible people of all time and would just <laughs> fall into every stand trap, no matter how obvious it was. Yeah. Remember the power outlet on a fucking rock in the desert? And they were like, let's charge it. Let's <laughs> yeah. charge it. Anyways, um, so so what they're gonna do is it, it turns out that they have stumbled into uh, the the most intense game of have to have manners of all time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you don't have your manners correct, uh, every time you mess up, you will have something taken from you. And it turns out that they're surrounded by gods of the forest, which take as red as uh, giant, horrible tree monsters yep. uh, that want to destroy things about you if you are uh, even the slightest bit uh, not holding up to their ethical standards. <laughs> um, and she does three things wrong. One is step on this carpet, I guess, that uh, is a little bit weird. Um, another one is that she sat in the wrong seat. Um, and then the last one, which is my favorite and most ridiculous one, which I didn't have any idea about, which is where you pick up a teacup. You are not allowed to put your finger through the hole of the teacup, yeah. <laughs> which is like the whole reason that that hole exists is to put your finger in there to hook it and to pick it up. But they're like, no, that is improper and gross. And I was just like, um, that feels so ridiculous to me. Yeah, I'm assuming yeah. that these are actual sort of Japanese etiquette aspects that are... I, I would guess that these are somewhat antiquated, although I don't, you know, I don't know a lot about Japanese etiquette other than that it is a bigger part of their society than it is of ours. But like, I don't know. There's uh like, it makes me think about like um, when I was in college, I was in a fraternity and one of the big things with the fraternity was 
if you are if you are sitting and a a, a woman enters the room, you're supposed to stand because yeah. it is it, it's etiquette. And I don't do that in my av- everyday life now because I think that it's dumb and sexist and and nobody that I know probably would know that that's a thing anyways. But like, you know, that that is sort of like an old timey piece of etiquette. And I'm guessing that at least the tea thing is some old timey etiquette. But like the one that got me the most, although probably the tea handles the craziest one. But the one that got me was that uh, the the seating she like she sits in the chair that's the furthest from the door. And that is bad etiquette because you're not supposed to to sit the furthest from the door. I don't know. I guess it I guess it transmits that you're feeling cagey or distrusting or something. But he's like, you really should have sat in the, the chair that's the closest to the door until the host has arrived to greet you. And then you can sit wherever. But I don't know. I was like, the chair closest to the door has its back to the door. That would feel like, you know, you're not. You're not displayed to the person. I, I yeah. would have thought it would have gone the other way, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think you're. I think you're. Anyways, I, I think it's too much of a thought to put into it because how dare you, sir? these three things have turned. <laughs> these three things have turned into uh, three things that are going to go terribly wrong inside of her life. So the first is that uh, there's going to be a car crash, um, and it's going to uh, cause. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of people in her life to suddenly get murdered. Um, and so she is going to lose that and also lose out on being able to get this house. And so she's like, oh no. And then it turns out that Rohan has made a mistake too. And because of that, he is going to have one thing taken from him, which is his editor. She is going to start having a heart attack until he comes up with a brilliant idea. Yeah. And before we get to the brilliant idea, I was like, is her having a heart attack? taking something from him because that seems like some shit he doesn't seem to totally care about it (laughs) (laughs) like i know it will affect his life negatively but like come on yeah rohan doesn't really care about people that much yeah that that uh that's pretty clear (laughs) rohan's a pretty huge asshole remember he let his house burn on fire just because he was mad at josuke (laughs) Oh, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was another reason why he's poor is because he really didn't care that his house got lit on fire while he's having like a gambling thing with Josuke. Yeah, and he was like, "Ah, eh, fuck it, whatever." I want to figure out how you're cheating at this dice game. I don't care that my apartment's on fire, my house is on fire. <laughs> okay, so tell us about the brilliant idea because I didn't completely understand this. It, I think it's mostly because I haven't experienced his stand enough. Mm-hmm. So, like, what is he doing to this MacGuffin character? Uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, he, his stand, what's it called, David? Heaven's, uh, heaven's door. Door. And it is definitely one of the, it is probably on paper, the most powerful stand in all of Jojo. Yeah. So, okay. So what does it do exactly? So heaven's door is essentially, it's a reality warping stand. And so what it does is there's two parts. The first part is you can read people like it's a book. And so it lets you get information like their history, their memories, their personality, but the second part is you can write on people. And so this is a few applications that the lowest power one is that if you change it, you can implant or remove memories from someone. But the stand shows how powerful it is, is that if you write something, it has to become true. So like we said in part one, Koichi asked him to write on him, I know Italian. And because he did that using his stand, Koichi now can speak fluent Italian. But 
there was stuff like going back to that rock, paper, scissors game. He cheats actually by having someone who's watching the game using his stand and write his opponent is going to throw rock. And because he wrote that, it becomes true. So during rock, paper, scissors, his opponent throws rock because his stand manipulated reality to force him to do that. Okay. Jeez, that is like a ridiculously powerful stand. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing he doesn't show up much more because he... And to be honest, it's one of those things where it's like, why doesn't he use his stand to fix a lot of problems that go on? And you just kind of have to hand wave a lot of issues surrounding... It's like in One Piece, uh, you guys, do you guys know what, like, Law's Devil Fruit? Oh, yeah, man. It's He's... it's this, Yeah, it's the same thing where if you think about what Law could actually do with his Devil Fruit, it would just break too many things. So you just kind of have to ignore that his Devil Fruit can do everything it can. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I had the I had the same feeling about a, a couple of different ones. There is there is a character in One Piece who eats the light light fruit, and uh, so he can move at the speed of light and turn yep. himself into light. So he is ostensibly the most powerful character inside of the universe. Um, and uh, because of that, I have not thought of a way uh, in any way that he is going to be defeated inside of the universe. Um, but I, I guess it's still continuing, so he doesn't mm-hmm. have to. I I sort of wonder sometimes if he writes characters and he's just like that's for future me to deal with and <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll die before I get to that so screw everyone <laughs> well he did make hockey which is like a tool to beat those kind of people but yeah he's definitely one of the most powerful though I think definitely Eneru's devil fruit the electric fruit is probably the most on paper powerful Logia fruit yeah there's a lot of really ones anyways yeah, um, yeah, back, yeah, to, back to it back so. to Jojo stuff um so so he he is going to um, rewrite number one uh, something onto the memory of this character, the MacGuffin. That is the thing that he did that was improper, and because of that, he's his um, his. Uh, person uh, that's with him, the editor starts to die, but he also writes inside of the his um, his MacGuffin character. He starts to write that different things that he does um, that are improper as well, and he starts to reverse the things that are bad because this character keeps on stepping on the rug that you're not allowed to step. Yeah, on. they they're um, in a it is, it is, traditional Japanese room, and it's got. Uh, tatami pads on the floor mm-hmm. and apparently it is impolite to step on the edge of a tatami pad and this was yeah. actually one of the offenses that his editor made but uh he uses heaven's door heaven's door heaven's door he uses heaven's door yep. to say that this guy can't see the edges of tatami pads which is i thought was really clever until the guy until he reveals that he made the guy unable to see the edge of tatami pads. And the guy's reaction was to look at his feet and then panic. And I was like, well, what is he can't see the edges of tatami pads. So what's he panicking about? He doesn't know where he's standing. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just proceeds to wander around the room and his claws. Yeah, He keeps stepping Um, and then being like, like, Oh shit, I stepped on the edge. And I'm like, you can't see them. I read the rules. Yeah, he also he also like uh, is is challenged with the most silly of challenges, which is what should you use to eat corn with? <laughs> and he's like, obviously your hands. And after uh, after he ends up getting the MacGuffin to screw up a bunch of times, he leaves with his editor out of Scary Forest, and uh, he's like, and I'm not going back there. Yes, yeah. somehow um, by making uh, Mr. MacGuffin be impolite himself, he reversed the impolitenesses that they did. And so, like, yeah, instead of, like, her, the editor's 
family, like her mom and her fiance died in a car crash. And then it turns out that it was just a relative who heard that they got into a car crash, panicked, made it something it wasn't and called her to tell her that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I is... will note, sorry, I will note actually in the original OV or in the actual like one shot, I believe that line actually isn't there and they decided to add that into the OV. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually they wanted suspect, to make it okay for the watcher. I suspect that that is like a slight mistranslation or something. And they were like, this is the closest mm-hmm. to accurate and no one will notice. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This takes us into our last one, which is called The this Run. This is my favorite um, one. This one this one's Blake's favorite, so you you start to explain it. Blake. Okay, so there's this guy named Yoma Hashimoto who is a hot guy, and he knows that he's hot because some random woman who's like a model talent, uh, uh, what's it called, a model talent agent, uh, finds yeah. sees him on the street and is like, "You're hot. I should make you into a model." So he becomes obsessed with himself, specifically obsessed with working out because he wants his body to be as peak physical condition as possible and so he starts spending all of his time working out and this uh manifests largely in us seeing him at his girlfriend's apartment where he is working out constantly and like so they have a scene where she's like she comes into the room and she trips over some weights that he's got on the floor and she's like hey uh that sucked can you not leave these out also you're jump roping in the middle of my uh, living room and I, i really don't care for that so would love for you not to jump her up in the middle of the house. And then uh, we have uh, dinner and it's spaghetti. And he's like, well, I'm not eating carbs. I'm only eating protein. And here's a list of things with protein. And I will only eat these things. And I I, uh, I would ask that you, uh, you know, respect that. And she's like, all right, well, uh, we have drink- plans to go get drinks with friends later. So uh, where's your no carb diet going to be there? And he's like, I'm not going to that. I'm going to bed so I can get up early and run. And he's just like straight up his entire life is working out. And uh, he has a personal trainer at the gym. And then one day the personal trainer is like, uh, I was working with you, but uh, for some reason I was working with you, but you hadn't like bought personal trainer sessions or something. And so uh, I don't know, he was just going to work with him by default unless somebody else bought personal trainer sessions and they did. So the guy gets mad and then the personal trainer, uh, the 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 new client like stops showing up mysteriously and it's like i don't know where that guy went but i guess i'll work with you in the interim and then the best part is when uh the girlfriend comes home sometime later and finds that the dude has put climbing holds all over her apartment (laughs) (laughs) yeah just doing free climbing and she's like okay but uh you put one of the holds over the thermostat so we can't use it and he's like it's fine we don't need it anyway also the air conditioner doesn't work anymore either but was also in the way all life is climbing and that's it and then she's like look <laughs> i've had enough of this you work out all the time there's like scuffs on my floor from you jump roping inside even though i told you not to your workout shits everywhere even though i told you to put it away and he's like well i use it every day so i don't know why you want me to put it away because i'm using it (laughs) and she's like i'm fed up i want you to exit my apartment and get out of my life and he does by going out the window because he also put climbing holds all the way down her apartment building (laughs) on the outside (laughs) yeah so okay 
So, so this takes us into our crossover where he actually runs into Rohan, which is um, apparently he and Rohan have been in a, a long-standing um, uh, runoff um, for a very long time, it seems, uh, where they're mm-hmm. just getting into a competition with each other to see who can run the longest and the fastest, yep. um, getting all the way up to 25 kilometers an hour before the other one has to, um, so ever, whoever uh, reaches it has to reach over and press the stop button on the other person's thing, and then uh, they will win. Um, And it turns out... That he wasn't able to keep up with Rohan before, but now he Rohan is still in cre- incredible physical shape. But it turns out that the other guy is in such great shape that he is able to run backwards at 20 <laughs> kilometers an hour. And then slowly he starts to reveal that he has been possessed by the Greek god Hermes. Yeah. And his like muscles are turning into wings. And he is slowly turning into like this... The, you know, the running god. But one of the dumbest parts about it, though, is he's just like, I'll distract him by throwing this weight through the back window. Oh, and I'm like, nah. I didn't interpret that as distraction. I interpreted that as stakes because their their uh, treadmills are right in front of that window. And they're going so fast that now if you trip and fall on your treadmill, it might shoot you out the window. You might get yeeted down to your death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I, unless he'd unless he'd already put climbing holds all the way down the side of the building. So um, that's the thing. Rohan's like he may not have died yeah. <laughs> after he fell out the window. Yeah. So he does fall out the window because he doesn't get there fast enough. Rohan wins again, um, and uh, he gets yeeted out the window. Um, and that's basically the end of it. It's it's very it's a very silly one. It feels like cartoon-esque um you also don't have any of these moments inside of this you have a a couple of like him being terrible and you know some off-screen probable murder oh definite murder uh, he's confirmed to have murdered several people (laughs) yeah anyways um so the other thing that happens inside of this almost makes it like cartoon silly though um because this character is so obsessed with this um, that you you almost forget that he is menacing um, just because he is just like really the only person he's really hurting is himself and, and I guess the murdered. people that he loves yeah he killed and those people he murdered he killed uh, he killed the guy that took the training session so that uh, he could have the trainer all yep. to himself and he killed the uh, the girlfriend. The, uh, presumably because she was trying to get him to stop working out at home, even though it was her home. He didn't live there. I don't think we ever see yeah. his house. Oh, he also steals money from her <laughs> uh, to buy more workout equipment or sessions. Uh, so, so that's yep. a whole thing. This one, I, I, yeah, I think you're right, Spencer. This one is cartoony, but I think that's what I liked about it because, you know, sometimes I, in my personal opinion, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure tries to be cartoony, but then wants to take it still to be taken seriously also. And this one is just, it's just ridiculous from start to finish. It's like Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very Looney Tune esque. Like if the murders were, you know, were just him, you know, throwing people out the window or something like that. And we never saw them die inside of quotation marks. Um, then we would just be like, Oh, it is a Looney Tunes. But since they were, it's Jojo's they were like, we probably killed them by ripping out their tongues. Yeah. Cause that's what happens in Jojo's. Um, yeah. so, uh, with all that being said, these are the one shots. Uh, this is thus spoke Kashibi Rohan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, 
with all that, uh, as the guest, uh, go ahead and give us like your ranking of, of what you would tell people about this. Uh, so do you want me to rank the four of how I would order them or what do you mean? Oh yeah, totally. And then tell us like, if you would suggest it for people, even if they weren't Jojo's fans. Oh yeah, for sure. So I would say, I think, yeah, I think number one is the manor one. Then I think the muscle dude, then the confessional, and then finally the bleeding corpse. Uh, yeah, I think number three just was like the most rounded where it was a balance of like being interesting horror. It actually had character elements where the R ones didn't really have characters in them. Uh, that he, Rohan really got to interact with. Mm. And that one, like, uh, that's the only one that I assume is, like, legitimately, like, a stand instance. Because that just seems, that's, like, actually seems like a stand. So, yeah, that one was definitely my favorite. But I think the running one was also fun. And then the other two were just kind of okay. Especially because, like I said, the confessional kind of retreaded something that Rohan had already gone through. Uh, but, yeah, hmm. overall, though, I think they were a lot of fun. Definitely watch them on Netflix. They're only, like, 30 minutes long. So, it's just imagine it's, like, a movie. And it's a fun time. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, I would say that I, I would rank the, the millionaire Hill definitely as number one. Um, I would probably put, uh, the, the first one as my, my second favorite, um, then the run and then, um, the, the Musikabe Hill, um, as somebody who doesn't watch a lot of JoJo's, mm -hmm. um, but has really found Diamond is Unbreakable to be the best of the JoJo's, I think that this is going to be one that it, it it is better to me um, than probably all of the original JoJo's. Yeah, I, I would watch this before watching any of those again, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's saying a lot because you know the very very first JoJo's we we were really interested in. It was a a weird vampire story that we were into that we mm -hmm. didn't completely understand and didn't know what we were going to get into. When it introduced stands, we were excited because we were like, Oh, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a really cool, uh, spin on things, but we didn't end up enjoying the stands as much until we got to diamond as a breakable. I think that diamond has the weirdest stands. And because oh, of that is, Oh the most my God. Sorry. Just like, <laughs> if you get to part eight, the stand, your part six forward, the stands get so extremely strange. Yeah, and I think that that's the best way to do stands. Like, making them break reality in, in more of a ridiculous way is one of the ways to get them further away from just being a guy that can just punch harder and also this one that shoots fire. Um, instead of that, it, having somebody that can, like, rewrite on the pages of your life is just such a cool stand power that I think that's why Millionaire Hill was, like, my favorite. Because because you got to see the stand being used the most. And because of that, you also um, got to see like the person interacting with the stand being affecting them at the same time. It was just like a cool spin. Um, it was a really, it's a really interesting way um, that they showed how the stand works, like opening up someone's face and hands to see like the words written on how they were going to interact. It's just such a cool ability. And I think that that's one of the reasons it sold me. And this is one of the reasons why I'm like, I honestly think that if you want, if you're like somebody who has to watch everything JoJo's, you're going to have to go and live through that slog. But if you're somebody that just wants to pick it up with the best of the way that JoJo's is done, I say pick up with Diamond is Unbreakable. And this is one of those that I would probably say... Um, go all the way through Diamond is first and then um, watch these. Um, but these are fun one shots, though. 
Yeah, I will say, yeah. So part eight, the stands get super, super weird. Like one of them is a stand that looks like a Lego model house of the White House. And when you what? bury it, it increases the air pressure of the area around it. Wait, I'm sorry. You have I to literally bury it first? raised my hands and walked away. Yeah, so you have to take <laughs> this guy's stand, looks like a Lego set that is, it looks like a Lego set of the White House. And then you bury it underground. And then in an area, it increases the air pressure over time to the point where it will crush people by via air compression. So he's oh like a, this is a slow burn assassin. Yeah. yeah, it's uh yeah. So part eight has a lot of very very strange stance. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you sort of describing the the stands and stuff like that made me think about one of the things that I find the most charming about anime versus like I'm a huge superhero fan, but I generally mm-hmm. find the store like the powers of anime to be interesting in a way that the powers in like Western comics aren't as consistently. Um, They're just fun in a different way. But I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of that comes from the extra amount of creativity that's put onto those powers. Like, like Spencer, you you use the examples of like, this guy can shoot fire. This guy can punch really hard, but then in anime, you know, their powers are usually a little bit more niche. And I was thinking about this with my Mm -hmm. hero academia recently, where it's like, you know, you have Todoroki who can shoot fire. But he also shoots ice, but icing, like too much ice makes him ice up. I think too much fire makes him overheat. He also has emotional blocks against using the fire side. And so it's like, there's there's an extra element. He's not just able to blast elements at you. He he has these limitations and these specific ways that they manifest. And like with Deku, he is super strong, but when his body can't take it. So he breaks himself by using his super strength. And it's like... It's not he's not Superman. He's something more interesting to me because there is there is that like extra limitation. There's that extra creativity. And I think you find that so much. And I think that's when I like Jojo's the most is when the situation feels so creative and so interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I like about the Millionaire Hill and the Pigeon Popcorn, because those are really interesting and ridiculous situations. And then the run is just like it's just like kind of a cartoony guy doing something funny. And then uh, the bleeding one, I think is a, a miss for me because it doesn't feel like it's rooted in that creativity. It just feels sort of like gross, mm-hmm. but I, I would agree with you yeah. guys. I think this one's definitely a watch. I don't think you have to have seen any judges to enjoy this. I do think that having seen Jojo's, you will, even if like us, you more or less didn't like Jojo's bizarre adventure. You'll still kind of, be charmed by how Jojo-y it is. And I would agree yeah. that this is, you know, from the perspective of Spencer and I, who didn't really like most of parts one through three, but have enjoyed what we've seen of part four, that uh, this one feels like part four. So like even the bleeding one, I didn't enjoy it a lot, but I was like, you know, it's fine. It, the story was still interesting, even if it wasn't a story that I enjoyed like experiencing. But the other ones were all pretty, pretty good stories, pretty well told. And I think that it, it kind of lands there for us. Awesome. Um, well, uh, again, that was uh, Thus Spoke Kashibe Rohan. And uh, again, our special guest, if you can just uh, remind everybody how they can check you out, um, what's your show and everything. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah, sure. So as I said at the start, I am a part of the Shonen Flop podcast where we look at canceled manga that ran in Shonen Jump saying, was it good? Was it bad? And what it could have done differently. You can find us at shonenflop.com or really wherever you get your podcast at Shonen Flop. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram at Shonen Flopcast. Appreciate if you guys check us out, um, share us, and leave us a review, or even just send us a tweet just to say what you think of the show. And guys, awesome. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, also, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show. This was a lot of fun, a long time coming. I know we uh, were trying to book this for like maybe six weeks now, so I'm really excited we finally got <laughs> to have this happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, holidays and also uh, snowpocalypse is happening. Oh, God, yeah. Um, so, you know, different things. Blake lives in Wyoming or out, outside of Wyoming now, so it's always snowpocalypse. Yeah, so snowpocalypse. He oh, doesn't experience it as much. Six months. Oh, no. I, I want to go to Wyoming at some point, but it's a challenge from well, New York because I don't think there's any direct flights. You know, uh, I, I'm uh, it's not great. But uh, if you like if you like the outdoors, I, I've heard that it's fun. I don't. So I don't like that. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, he's an indoor cat. Oh, yeah. um, anyways, uh, uh, with all that being said, thanks again for joining us. And uh, and uh I guess we're going to give them a, another sneak peek of something coming up next time after Either these Either that or a life lesson. We'll figure it out. Who's <laughs> <laughs>
Maybe you're a Dungeons and Dragons fan. Well, I would invite you to join the Knights of the Roll Table, a comedic and family-friendly audio drama featuring a cast of improv actors bringing their unique flair to D&D. Whatever your geeky interests, chances are we've got a podcast for you, and we're excited to offer convention access, giveaway content, and more as part of our continued partnership with Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. See you next time.